Hey everybody, it's Logic Bomb 82 from the Mature Minded Gamers. We are a group of adult gamers who have jobs and lives, but also several passions, including video gaming, board gaming, and much more. You can join us by visiting our website, MatureMindedGamers.com. Today we're bringing you our Star Trek podcast, where we cover the latest news and all things Star Trek. Hey everybody, it's Eric from the Mature Minded Gamers group, and today we are covering Star Trek Picard Episode 3, The End is the Beginning, and we all just watched it live together. Uh, so we had a lot of stuff going on in this episode, and I have several questions that I am excited to ask you guys. Uh, but first off, we have a new guest. Ben is joining us today. Ben, can you tell us a little bit about your Trek history, favorite series, least favorite series? Uh, yeah, uh, been a fan of Trek at least 37 years, probably correlating with the beginning of Next Generation. Uh, my favorite series is Deep Space Nine, and my least favorite series is probably Voyager. Wow, it's right in the heart. I feel you on that <laughs> one, man, 100%. Deep Space Nine, best one. We also have Will and Brad with us again tonight. They have been in uh, the other two episodes. What up? Hey, hey. Runs a little under the weather, so he, he sounds uh, he sounds more manly, though. I kind of like it. It's it's called my sexy voice. I, I like it. All right, so let's get started with this episode. We finally get to see the exact time when John Luke Picard resigns from Starfleet. You get to see that him and uh, Raffi are there together, and she is a lieutenant commander. It looks like. And they kind of he kind of explains what happened and how he didn't really think they would have him resign, but he you know they ended up accepting it. And so then we have Raffi saying, "Well, you know, now the CNC wants to talk to me. It looks like I'm going to get fired." But it doesn't seem like she's really taking it too serious at that point. So, what did you guys think of the scene? Did you pull anything else from it that I missed? I, I think a little bit for me was seeing he has a seeing the Picard from next generation to this show you see him a lot more relaxed like i don't think anybody on next generation would have ever referred to him by jl or jean-luc and kind of showed maybe he's relaxed a little bit and where he is in his career at this point in starfleet yeah i kind of felt like the the whole jl thing was a little uh too informal to to speak to an admiral no matter who you are or what your relationship is with him really um it it felt weird i guess um but I'm willing to overlook it just based on her character, at least for now. I think the the thing they were trying to get across for what how I took it was that they have more of a uh, a familiarity relationship going on and less formal. And there's maybe more of a relationship there than we're kind of led to believe or we're kind of shown at this point, I guess just to say. And I think maybe there's more to that connection than we already know. I kind of had the same thought there, Will. Like, they were kind of showing how close they really were. Yeah, give it a second, and Eric is going to tell us that he thinks Raffi is Picard's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so, the c coming up, the next scene we see with Picard and Raffi, she is not very happy with him. She is pissed. So, obviously, I think from the next scene, how angry and jaded she seemed, something else has went down. I think we're, I think we're going to have something else come up where she tried to do the rescue mission maybe without Picard, or I actually think her and Picard went ahead and tried this. 
Is that what you guys are kind of thinking happened? So how I kind of took it was the fact that he never checked in on her after all of it went down. He went off to Chateau Picard and kind of tried to live his own life and didn't even because as she as Rafi had said in in that scene was, you know, you never checked on me. You never asked how I was doing. And there was no no connection after that. And it seems like Picard was maybe disappointed in himself a little bit and um, kind of put his tail between his legs and kind of went off and did his own thing and and didn't continue to have that bridge that Rafi that so she didn't maybe feel that that relationship was as strong as she was led to believe in the first place. So you don't think anything else happened? You think just that fact is why she's so angry at him? No, not necessarily, but I think that has a big factor into it. I mean, that was one of the main things she said was, hey, you know, you never checked in on me. She's had 14 years to dwell on it. Right. Whereas he, I don't feel like he's given it a second thought. I think she was more engaged in that, you know, because, you know, for her, it was like, man, you, you kind of did this to me. And that's kind of what she said is you resign, you know, and then they fire me. She, she feels like he doesn't care. Yeah. And, you know, he kind of hesitated on whether or not to contact her. So I, I do think he knows he's, he's uh, made a mistake with her at least. Yeah. I, it did seem kind of bizarre that they would have fired her just for being a part of Picard's team. I definitely think there's probably more to that story. Um, but as to why she's upset at him or, or upset with him, I think that he probably did his Picard swagger and got her to buy into whatever she, he was telling her. And then when he uh, resigned, it was kind of like we did all this work for nothing. Like you threw it away by resigning. I can see that too. And maybe because it is more like a military organization, she was removed from whatever job she had because she was on the coattails of an admiral and maybe she resigned and she still sees that somehow as the first domino that fell was him taking off the comm badge and walking away. Well, then she did say that they removed her security clearance. So that's probably the security clearance that she had. had She She also mentioned that she was a bit of a, uh, I can't remember the term they they used, but she was kind of a um, uh, not skeptic, but doomsday like right conspiracy theorist. Yeah, so so I think losing her her security clearance lost access to the things that she needed to hold her life together. Maybe. Well, she does mention that she thinks Romulans were involved in the the very first attack with yeah. the uh, the droids blowing up Mars. Yep. So yeah, but I think something else has happened. I think. I don't think she got fired when she went to see CNC. I think mm-hmm. she and Picard tried to do an off-the-book mission to rescue these people. And maybe Picard abandoned her or some somehow. I think that's how she lost her security clearance. From well, I, I mean, we already know that he did something, right? I mean, obviously, he's they've rescued some Romulans, right? Am I correct yeah, I, in that? I, I mean, that, like the two Romulans that are on the, on the chateau I mean, with him? Romulans escaped and yes he has Romulans with him but I think that though I think there's something alluded to that there's some kind of history between at least those two having been prior to how she are having a relationship with Picard at some point but I, I don't I, I still think that's a little bit of a murky water area so far and I'm sure they'll get into it but we obviously still have Romulans out there we have Romulans on the on the board cube people you know, they evacuated whoever they could, but I, I don't know. 
I don't know what that backstory is yet. I, I, I like it. I love those characters, but I just, I don't know that they were necessarily rescued by Picard or were they already having a relationship with Picard prior to this happening? Yeah, I would agree because the thing we got to remember is, is that it's not like the Romulans were completely hopeless and helpless. They did have their own fleet and their own ability to, to move people off of some of those planets that their ask was, is this is a bigger task than we can accomplish ourselves. Federation, we're willing to look beyond our years of distrust from one another to ask for your help. And, and I get the, I still get the impression that some of the rescue efforts were underway because Captain Picard, no, Admiral Picard had ordered it, but that the, the attack on Mars uh, stopped it. Yeah. A two front situation. Like we should put our efforts into what is ours versus helping one of our enemies. But by the same token, it's almost like a flip side coin of the Kittimer issue that happened in Star Trek six. Like Starfleet didn't necessarily drop everything to go help the Klingons. There was a lot of stuff that happened between Praxis exploding and them going to do it. And this could have been the thing that brought the Romulans into the fold of the Federation, but who who was the upper echelon there that said, "Hey, let's not do, let's not help the Romulans. Let's take care of Mars." Because they even allude to that in this episode that somebody higher up knew something, right? Somebody, us. somebody's covering it up. Yep. So the next scene we see is Soji talking to Hugh, and we find out that he is actually the executive director of the Reclamation Project. That's been going on in the Borg cube. She's been doing a great job, apparently, is what Hugh says. And she gets a favor. And so she wants to talk to one of the uh, Romulans who she picks, Rada, I think was her name, who was the foremost leading expert on ancient Romulan myth. So it seems like a kind of a weird mixture. However, we find out that there is some kind of therapeutic unity of a shared mythological framework is what she's trying to achieve so to me this could go a couple different ways i think this is either her wanting to help all the xbs basically have some kind of unity in a framework to to help them heal from what what has happened to them or my other thought was going to be covered in our crazy theories at the end but uh, what do you guys think of this well so i want to back up a little bit because i want to talk about hugh as the director um this is not the sweet, lovable, um, reclaimed Borg that we remember from back in Next Generation. He has definitely been through some, been through some things, and he just he seems a lot more quippy or nah, that's not the right word. He he seems a lot more arrogant. Yeah, arrogant's a good word, but even more so, like the the hue that we we left at the you know I think season six or seven in Next Generation. Um, the last time we see him, uh, he would not have aligned with the Romulans at that time. I think this is interesting that he's got an alignment with the Romulans. I think it's interesting how he's become director of an actual board cube, like reclamation facility or whatever this place is. Like you said, you know, it's interesting that, you know, the last we saw him, he was going off with his small band trying to find other Borgs that, that kind of got disconnected, if I'm not mistaken, and, and see what he could do to help connect them or uh help reclaim them and why is he on this ship doing doing that and like why how is he here you know what i mean uh i got two things one in reference to hugh again i keep saying the same thing over and over but like the flip side of the coin when the borg assimilated jean-luc picard and made him locutus the voice the human voice of the borg 
it's almost like Hugh is now the human voice for the reclaimed Borg. Like, uh-huh. why is he the director? Why is he this? He is now their herald. He's like, you know, Silver Surfer, however you want to put that into that framework. But it's almost like at two sides of the same coin. Hugh is now the reverse of what Locutus was. And then the other thing goes back to what Eric said about the unity and uh, the ability to help heal themselves. Now, even though Voyager is my least favorite, uh, season three had an episode called Unity where there were some ex-Borg in the Delta Quadrant. Chakotay has like a concussion, and the only way they can heal him is by getting him into their neural, neural network. And uh, he refuses it because he doesn't want to lose the Borg. Uh, finally, they do it against his wishes, and they make him better. And the plot twist on this is one of the Borg is actually Romulus. So kind of what Eric was saying there, the unity, getting them together, they can heal together. It's already happened, and it happened in the Delta Quadrant. And I also find it a little weird that Hugh doesn't know about that Romulan that had been assimilated. Voyager Log should be part of everything. It's been 20-some-odd years, but I like how things are feeding back. Even things we may not realize are feeding back into some of the original Next Generation and Voyager and so on and so forth. And for me, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, you know, that's a pretty good poll on on that particular episode. And guess just to establish the canon of, of Borgs who have been um, disconnected from from the collective, it, it seems like everything up till this point, every disconnected Borg has had a lot better time or a lot easier time reaching their, you know, for lack of a better term, humanity. You know, that particular mm-hmm. uh, episode, they were all, um, normal looking almost that almost everybody was was almost fully restored and normal looking and um then we look at jerry ryan as seven of nine and she's pretty normal looking but then we look at at hugh and he's not okay like they were not yeah. able to remove all of his different attachments and and augmentations so i think there's something that changed in that and i i want to say that it's more than just a cosmetic thing that they got better makeup artists or something now i want to put some lore behind that and say that you know maybe some of those um maybe the board made it more difficult to they adapted yeah they adapted and it, yeah. now it's harder to leave the collective yeah i think it all makes complete sense that he is there doing that because like like you said will he wanted to go out and help other borg and then you know all of a sudden you have these romulans trying to bring these borg back and i mean it's a perfect fit for him obviously going to be more equipped and Nobody else probably wants to help this process. Them there with the ship and all this technology. And it really seemed like he cared about them too, especially when the uh, the fortune teller lady pulled that uh, disruptor out. And, you know, he says, no, don't punish her. It wasn't her fault. You know, it was the security officers. Like he seems like he's really there and he cares about them. So I think it's a perfect fit. I don't think it, it, it feels right to me. You had asked you- if we had pulled anything from the scene with, I can't remember what her name was, but the, the Romulan the expert on Romulan mythology that had been called the fortune teller. Yeah. The fortune teller, I guess. Yeah. That that's an interesting thing because she called Soji the destroyer and she asked which, which sister she was the one that lives or the one that dies. And so where this leaves me a little bit sort of confused is she's, she explicitly says that, what she's doing is telling the news and she's saying, I met you tomorrow. I, I guess I don't really know the connection of, of how the Borg are seeing uh, events or, or these Borg are seeing events that have already, or that haven't quite happened yet. Because if she's 
on that that reckon that the artifact there's no way that she could have known that dodge had been killed yet because from our perspective it, it just happened recently and if she's been caught up in in captivity there's no way she could have known that so there's something in there that i'm not quite picking up on yet that that i'm i'm kind of excited to figure out how that plays out hey let's um, not forget the borg do have access to uh temporal mechanics star trek first contact yeah that's that's true but I, I get what you're. I get what you're saying, Brad. I'm in, I'm excited to find out more the connection between the the Borg and Dodge, um, and I guess the Romulans and Dodge, and how Maddox fits all into the whole play. Uh, I'm obviously there's some sort of uh, sort of, sort of like connection between all of it, and obviously we would never show without it. But man, I this this show is is really slowly becoming that slow burn for me it's like oh this is getting better and it's it's having an amazing buildup and i'm pretty darn excited so she seems to really pull information when she needs it and she yeah. doesn't even know how she gets it we yeah. see that referenced a couple times in this episode where even hugh didn't know that she was on that the last romulan ship to be uh captured by the borg and then the whole time i think we all thought that you know they destroyed the borg ship but we find out that it was a major malfunction and so the real question is, how does she have this knowledge and where's this all coming from? And then we see her fast forward a few scenes later in her room and she calls her mom immediately to find out if her sister's okay. And um, that was a different mother on the holotape, right? That wasn't the one we've seen Dodge call, was it? No, I think it was the same person. I just think that it was a different manifestation of the same, same program. I thought she looked a little different, but I, I'm not 100% sure I didn't pull back the first episode, but obviously I, I mean, that's Maddox, right? Controlling her because he puts her to sleep by saying, um, I don't know that I'm quite ready to say it's Maddox. Well, whoever's controlling her, Maddox or the Borg or whatever. I think you're, I think you're on to something there. I, I think he downloaded like uh, downloaded his information to her when she's sleeping. Oh, I, I definitely think something is downloading information while she's sleeping or, or in that mode right there where she gets, I think that's something, but I'm not convinced it's Bruce Maddox yet. I think we're going to find out next episode. At least I hope. Based on the pace that this show has taken, we're not going to find out until like episode 12. Oh, season that, three. That's for a, a later conversation. So that's season two then, because there's only 10 episodes. Well, it's going to be season three. All right, so let's cut back. We got a little bit ahead of ourselves there, and we see the you know an unregistered ship captained by Rios, who uh, Rafi suggests to Picard to, you know, it's the ship for him to basically hire. And so Picard beams over, and we meet the uh, very first uh, emergency holograph on the ship which looks just like uh, Rios. And the first one we meet, I think, is the navigation hologram. But then it switches to the medical hologram in the next scene, I believe. Well, he has these holograms on his ship that look just like him, but have different personas and different accents. Mm-hmm. So do we think, well, what do we think is going on there? And how many does he have on his ship? Is this how he flies the ship? There's so many questions. Yeah, I kind of looked up a little bit on that one because I was also curious. And it's definitely a an EMH, the emergency medical hologram and the ENH, the emergency navigational hologram. So um, I'm sure that he's probably got, you know, at least those two, if not a couple of more that are just um, stand-ins for the rest of the crew that he would need to, to operate the ship. All right. So next up we get uh, Picard actually meeting Rios and he's got a large piece of shrapnel in his shoulder. Uh, I found a couple things interesting about this scene. One, he doesn't want to explain what really happened. And two, he wants he doesn't want the doctor to fully heal it. He wants to leave a scar. Any thoughts on this? So the ship was in like an immaculate condition, right? 
So I don't think it happened on the ship. I think something happened off planet or something because there was no sign. And even Picard said this, this ship is in, you know, pristine Starfleet order, you know, and everything is secured and everything. It doesn't look like it actually happened an incident on the ship itself. I mean, for me, we've already been introduced to the hologram. Nothing that says that potentially he doesn't have a holiday or a hollow suite. He made some mention of uh, having watched his commanding officer die. Who's to say he, one, he doesn't trust other people or he doesn't want other people to get hurt, which is why he crews himself with holograms. And two, maybe with the safety features off on a hologram, he's living experience. Can I save my commanding officer? Can I save my captain? Star oh, Trek, man, that's, that's I, a good I, idea. I, yeah, well, the thing is, Next Generation was great, but... It, it was bland because everybody agreed with each other. It wasn't until Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, we started introducing other characters that had flaws and problems. Bajoran Militia, the Maquis, uh, things of that nature. And I think now, we're, you know, it's okay to show a flawed Starfleet officer. Something went south and this is what happened. Uh, we don't know what happened with Raph. We all hold Picard up on a pedestal because we all grew up watching Captain Picard on Next Generation. But now we've been introduced to a commander and a lieutenant commander that damaged beyond anything that we know. And I'm sure we'll get all those backstories later. But that's what I got from that scene was a very isolated individual who was recommended to Picard from another isolated, damaged individual. Uh, so who knows what kind of history those two have together as well. But that's that's kind of what I took away from it. He mentioned that he was on a former uh, heavy assault ship, I believe. Have we ever heard of that class before? Uh, no, no, I, exactly. I, I didn't know it either. And then he also mentions, you know, you don't know my ship's name or you never heard of my ship because it's all swept under the rug. So obviously whatever went down where his heroic captain died uh, must have been pretty crazy. I, I really hope we get, get the whole backstory on that. It has shades of discovery season two, like all that got wiped under the rug. We're not supposed to know any of that happened. So here we are 200, 100 years later, and, and we know that the Federation and Starfleet are still keep the thing on the down low if they need to. Right. And this would have happened after the whole, you know, Romulan incident. So apparently, you know, things haven't been so uppity up since then as well. Section nine. 31, but that's 31. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Any thoughts? Do we want to take a wild guess here? Who the captain was that he lost? That was heroic. Mm. Captain I mean, Beverly Crusher. Uh, well, <laughs> right. I mean, that's what I was thinking. Could it be someone from next generation that we're going to get a, you know, intertwining history with Picard somehow. I think Starfleet is big. Yeah, but he references like a heroic captain. Like yeah, he, that, he kind of makes a big deal out of it. And that could have been anybody though. I mean, there were a lot of heroic captains that died at Wolf 359 and a, a lot that died in the, in the Dominion Wars or whatever else happened between, you know, the end of Deep Space Nine and, and now. I mean, when at the end of Voyager, we had a cube come out of a... Oh, the transport conduit. Right into... To, federation space like there would have been a battle there then there would have been some sort of you know heroics that would have happened about the time of the uh the saving of romulus so i, I think there's a lot that and it could have been the attack on mars i mean there's a lot that could have happened yeah i'm gonna say it was jordy no jordy is not dead you take that back <laughs> <laughs> yep that's exactly what happened it was jordy it was picard's mission somehow and raffi is jordy's daughter and that's why Raffi hates him. There we go. Solved. All right, so moving on, the next thing we get is Picard back at the Chateau, and he's 
preparing to leave, and he has his Romulan uh, assistants there, basically packing up his stuff for him and telling him goodbye. And then all of a sudden, the Tashiar attacks, and we get a great action scene. We see how badass Zoban and Laris are. Uh, they kick a lot of butt, and then we see uh, at the end, you know, they let down their guard, and then here comes one more, and then who comes in and saves the day? The most scaredy cat person in the whole crew, Dr. Dorada, comes in and uses the Romulan disruptor and kills someone, and then, you know, she doesn't understand that she actually killed him. I thought that was a really cool scene where she says, Romulan disruptors don't have a stun, which is uh, really cool, and then we, I think we got a lot of character from her, so we, we learned that, one, she's not kind of killing people like everyone else in, in that scene is. Um, and two, that she, you know, doesn't really know how to handle a gun. Well, we think that. I mean, maybe that's just what she's portraying. Maybe she's part of Section 31, and maybe O was actually coming in to check on her. I mean, who knows, you know? there's there, Somebody is obviously going to... I, I don't think everybody's on the up and up that's going to be on Picard's ship. I think somebody's there for malicious purposes. I didn't get that vibe at all, but... Uh, no, I... Well, I'm just saying, I mean, I just think that that's, you know, something that's going to happen. It's just my, my guess. All right, do you might pull anything from the scene? How about all the phasers underneath the tables? They knew shit was coming, didn't they? They made the comment at one time, and I can't remember if this is this episode or episode two, but they said the only thing that could protect Picard from the Tal Shiar was the Tal Shiar. And so we know that Zoban and, or Zoban and, and Laris are former Tal Shiar members and that they're there because they, and this is a part that I don't know yet because I haven't read the graphic novels, but I understand that they uh, defected from the Tal Shiar to, to kind of open up the channels of communication with Picard. So I think that, you know, they've pledged an allegiance to him as the quote unquote admiral and are basically there for his protection. The whole them being housekeepers and, and whatnot is a byproduct. So all that to say the weapons in various places make sense if they're former Tal Shiar. I was going to say, I thought Picard was pretty badass in that scene, too. I mean, yeah, he got, he got you know, hit around a couple times, but he's old. But, I mean, how he was able to, to fend him off himself, you know? I think they're definitely showing his age. They're not trying to make him look super, you know, superhero-ish or anything like that, which I think is good. I think it's fitting because he obviously is old. Well, in, Picard, in the next generation, Picard really never <laughs> brawled that much. Not like, you know, they did for Kirk. Hey, just to throw this out here, too, like, when they ran the first season of the next generation, uh, each character was supposed to be 10 years old actor playing them because Roddenberry wanted everybody to, you know, in the future, you'll be a little bit vital, a little older. And I was doing the math uh, while we were watching the show tonight. In theory, based on the years and everything, Picard should be around 94 years old in this series. So going back to what Will said, uh, <laughs> 94 years old, I think he handled himself being almost a centurion there good point so the the Tashiar agent that they capture obviously uh, a couple things about this that i found interesting I, and this may be known i'm just not as smart on track stuff as you guys but the one that they capture has really big ridges like the other romulan and she referenced it always oh, from the north like you he's stubborn is is that a known fact that determines what their ridges look like i actually think it is based on a joke from Roddenberry when they changed the Klingon makeup from the original series to the movies. And people asked, why do these Klingon bridges? And he always referred to them as being from the... Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> At the time, there was no... You know, they didn't want to explain. It was just, we had better makeup now than we had in a TV show. So they, he had always referred to 
because the Klingons from up north. So I took it as a little in joke for people knew weird stuff that Roddenberry would say back in the day. I did. Lo- I actually wrote it down in my notes too about them being north. Just I thought that was a funny, funny in joke. All right, so pretty much wrapped it up. There was a couple scenes with Narek in it. One where he's talking to Soji. One where he's talking to Soji uh, uh, right after she wakes up from her little sleep. And man, it was just a weird scene. He just she's like explaining that he does. She doesn't know how she figured all this stuff out. And he's like, oh, "I love you." And then the scene ends, and we get an even weirder scene with him and his sister slash lover. What is going on with that? They kind of did the same thing in Discovery with Spock and. Um, Spock's sister, like, because for a while, I mean, it wasn't as bad in Discovery, but for a while we were kept, you know, we kept thinking, you know, were they like former lovers? What was going on? Yeah, I don't know. I definitely got a Joe Dirt uh, sort of vibe off of that yep. with him and uh, uh, Jamie Presley. That, you're my sister. sister. You're my sister. <laughs> no, I thought it was pretty awkward when she's sitting there telling him how how she's scared and, you know, doesn't know what's going on and. And how does she know this stuff? And then all of a sudden he just whispers, you know, I think I love you. And then it's like, oh, they give you a hug and, you know, oh, everything's okay. I mean, that just that doesn't make sense. Total emotional manipulation. And I, I get why he's doing it. He wants her to reveal details to him that she wouldn't reveal to anybody else. And this is, I think, an indicator that, that he's got, he's in. And by saying that he loved right. her in that moment, she's starving for that kind of attention, and he he's in. That's a good point. He's kind of showing him playing her, I guess. Total Romulan. All right, and the very last scene, we get everybody on the ship, including Rafi, who's on there and says, well, you know, we find out that uh, they track Maddox to Free Cloud. Any, any history on Free Cloud? I didn't recognize it, besides it sounding like Cloud City. None that I'm aware of. None that I'm aware of either, but that's apparently Easter egg, um, and that's supposed to reference a David. Oh, okay. Can we go back to something, actually, though? Um, right before they're all in the ship together, Ra- uh, not Rafi, who's the, what's the pilot's name? Rios. is basically telling Picard, you know, you know, things are about to get even hotter. Well, like, with what? Like, I kind of took it as there's, like, an emergency going on, or, like, you're about to have more people come in or something. Was he just more referring to the fact that Rafi was Rafi was on the ship? Is that what you guys got? See, I kind of thought of it as, oh man, you know, you're about to have more company. So I'm thinking, well, man, they've got to get uh, they've got to get the two Romulan people out of the chateau as well. I, I don't know. Were you guys? Do you think it was just more alluding to that Rafi was on the ship? I mean, I I think it could be alluding to the fact that here we are, the four of us on this small understaffed ship, and we're getting ready to go to a cube and face off against Romulans and you're telling me there's a synthetic out there so she's a synthetic I mean it could be I mean I get it he was a commander he was an XO on a ship but I mean it's kind of a daunting task you know it's very Lord of the Rings ish like we don't have weapons we don't have Federation behind us we don't have Star but we're gonna go try to do all of this on our own okay cool let's go you're paying me I don't care I thought it definitely did Will I think he was referencing that more Taushar were coming to get them. And but the, the thing that was interesting to me was, how did he know? Like, what right. kind of systems does he have? No, I think it was Rafi. I think Rafi, um, somehow or another, she seems to be a little bit more adept at, at you searching the net. She's a lead hacker, and she figured out that something was going to happen. Yeah, that, that makes good sense. What do you yeah. think about the, the first engage? Uh, Lackluster. 
lackluster was the word I was going to say. Oh, I thought it was a great way to end it. Uh, I did like when he uh, when he first gets on the ship. We kind of skip past this. We first when he first gets on the ship and he's talking to uh, Rios, and he Rios tells him to take a seat. He walks by the captain's chair and kind of looks at it for a second, and then he walks over and says to the other one. I thought that was yeah. Cool. So you think the book that he was reading, um, how Picard kind of like looked at it for a minute, kind of shows he was kind of saying, "Hey, man, this guy, guy's a little bit more refined than what he's letting on." You think that was kind of an indicator of the of the character? That he's a little bit more cultured than just some pirate slash pilot. Well, he won. He said he'd read his book, Picard's book, which I found interesting. And I meant to look up the title of that second book, and I forgot to do it. Did anybody the tragic sense of life? Is that a real book, or is that something fake? It's a Spanish poet and philosopher. The core philosophical argument of this book is that life is tragic because all humans know they will eventually die. Mm. Okay. So I, I think I think you're right. Well, I think it was trying to show us that he was, you know, he was, there was more to him than his bad boy persona. He was trying to his Han Solo persona. He was trying to play off that a kid. All right. So let's uh, move on. Any final thoughts in this episode? More questions. Got some answers, but a lot more questions. Um, I like to see that stuff's actually moving forward, though. Um, you know, kind of a slower show so far. I know this is season or episode three, but there's only like eight. Eight episodes, is that correct, boys? Ten. Ten, Ten, I think. Ten episodes, and we're already in episode three, and we're just now starting the quest. You know, it's like, okay, you know, this was Next Generation. They would have had the answer by now. You know what I'm saying? They would have solved it by using some transwarp conduit, you know, separating saucer section bullshit. Yeah, I agree. I That was, so I watched earlier today just uh, because I didn't think I was going to make the podcast tonight, but the first thing I text Eric was, is that this thing is slow as a snail and we've already watched three hours of this show and have barely picked up on barely had anything that I expected. Now all that to say, I'm still really enjoying it, but we got to pick up the pace here, fellas. I mean, we've only got seven episodes left to cover a lot of ground. It's, it's either got to get to a chaotic speed or, or ludicrous speed, or it's got to, you know, something isn't going to get resolved by the end of the season. Well, they already got season two in the works, so we know it's not going to all get resolved. Oh, I know that, but but they've got to give us something or we're not going to want to watch season two. Right. This is going to go the way of, of Stargate Universe if they don't start picking up the pace a bit. I think, oh. it's going, I think it's going just fine. We have a lot of history and fill in the blanks to, to cover, and I think they're doing a great job. I haven't been bored at all. Well, yeah, I there have been shows, like, like Brad was saying, though, there have been shows that that are slower paced that have much better engagement values like Star Trek universe, Star Trek Star- universe. I feel was, a, what, what's that? Stargate universe. She said Star Trek. Oh, sorry. Stargate universe. That was like an engaging show. And that definitely, I'll be honest so far, I was more engaged into that than I am in this so far, but you now, know, we'll see where it goes. Now, I guess my question is, is it because of the next generation and that this is not the next generation? Is that, is that where you feel like the disconnect is? I mean, for me, uh, that I don't care if it's new characters, different characters. I like that they have some sort of tie-in between the two. It's more the fact that the story isn't... It, it's just too darn slow. I mean, it's almost like Game of Thrones where you're watching season seven and they just made it, you know, well, just that, killed and, the king or whatever. It's like, okay, finally. That's But that's how TV has changed since Next Generation's been on. Next Generation, everything was solved. 57 minutes we went on to the next planet wasn't really till deep space nine we started kind of getting more stretched out story well, i understand I think, that well what, what for me and 
what I'm picking up on this is it's built for us. And I get it. The action and the adventure is what we're looking for. But Star Trek always had this great ability to introduce characters. And they give you, they tell you this really interesting backstory. And I think you and I have talked about this before. Like when Ensign Rowe came on and they tell you this great story about how she disobeyed our normal command crew, was killed, yada, yada, yada. In Discovery, we got to see the backstory. We saw the backstory for that character two episodes before we ever really jumped into the story. And I think for me, what I'm seeing is like the 14, 15 years it's been, Picard has been in service to Starfleet. He still sees himself the same way. And I kind of took notes on this, but three separate times over three episodes, we had the scene where the Admiral uses her expletive and about his hubris. Uh, his resignation to start this and my resignation, they took my resignation. He's shocked. And then when Rafi says, uh, I will come with you, but I will not join you. It showed how he still sees him the way we saw him in the next generation, but nobody around him does anymore. They don't show the respect, adulation for him. He was never that way. Like when the Mentakins were trying to see him, as he refused to do it. He'd rather get shot with an arrow and killed. But now we're seeing somebody that won't lay on his previous past and expects these things to happen and realize that that's not the way the world works for him anymore. And that's kind of where we are, that it's not about what you did for me in the past, it's what are you now? And I find that to be, I get it, it's a little slower, but sometimes that slow burn, man, I'm willing to invest the time now in the slow story to get where we're going because I think there's a lot of development that I think when you watch it, more episodes over and over and you're like, how? Like, why didn't I see that before? You, you just start to invest in it. And I'm guilty because just to, to get myself back into the mindset, this isn't next generation. It's a 94-year-old lead in the story. And we just got to, and there's a lot going on. Romulan, Federation, there's a lot of stuff going on. But I, I think it's moving at a really good pace. I do know that they, they've been pretty open about the fact that they want this show to both be entertaining for those of us that are Trekkies. Yeah. Um, versus those who are, are new initiates too. So I think maybe that has something to do with it. But to me, I'm invested and I'm going to continue to be invested in, in watching this. The way this is being set up, I feel like we've had a, a three episode series premiere and not a three episodes of like, I think if they were going to make this a 10 episode series, we should have had a three hour premiere with these three episodes back to back. I think if that were the case, I think the pacing for me would have been okay. Knowing that I have you know, nine more episodes after this point, this moment right here, I feel like that that's probably a, a, a reasonable pace to set, but knowing that we only have seven more episodes and kind of extrapolating how, how far we've, we've moved the pen and, and three episodes, I'm just, I'm afraid of all the loose ends that they're going to leave at the end of this season or, or they're going to rush endings. And that doesn't, uh, you knowing that Patrick Stewart is as involved as he is, that doesn't sound like something he would do. So I don't know. I guess I'm just fearful what episode 10 is going to look like. I think you're spot on. I, mean, I think you summed it up great in our last podcast when you said that the first two episodes should have been the hour and a half long premiere. And this really feels like this should have been the second episode. And that would have been a good lead up going into the third one. So I wanted to call attention to the fact that um, just a little bit of timeline here. So we know that the attack on Mars happened, what was it, 14 years ago? previous to this was that right yes uh yeah okay 
And based on the number that was on the number of days since the last assimilation, I think it said like 5,430 something. Anyway, some little paper math on that shows that that was 16 years prior. So that means that the Romulans have had this board cube for at least 16 years, if not longer. And they've been studying this and harvesting it for data or for, for technology for a lot longer. So uh, to me, like one of the things that I'm really interested in is where did this cube come from? Like originally I had it in my mind that this was going to be the cube that came through the, the transwarp conduit when Voyager came back to, to the alpha quadrant. But I don't think that that timeline matches up. And this actually occurs after we find out that the star is going to go supernova or after the Romulans find out their star is going to go supernova, but probably before they ask for help from the Federation. It's just interesting that this, this board cube either, you know, dropped out of space in Romulan territory or close enough that they were able to get it before the Federation was. All right. Any crazy theories? Am I the only one? Hugh references, and we talked about this earlier, earlier that the only Romulans that have been emulated are the 20 that are in the psych ward or whatever you want to call it, which I find interesting. Like for one, why is it only them? And two, Soji references that that ship had 25 Romulans on it. We could always assume that the other five died. But my crazy theory is her and her sister and her mom and, and dad were four of the other ones on that ship. That's where I was leading with that earlier. That would place her as being a lot older than she is though. Just to poke holes in that right away, like think about the timeline I just set. That would be, you know, she'd be quite a bit older. No. How so? Uh, that you were actually backwards on that, Brad. She, she, could, she could have been like six years old and then she got digitally in, uh, like enhanced or altered. Well, that's fair. That's my crazy that's... theory. I love crazy theories. I'm probably completely wrong, but I want to share it. Well, this is not necessarily a crazy theory, but I was thinking of this, Eric, when you were referencing Bruce Maddox. And a light came on. Uh, Romulans harvesting Borg. Uh, Romulans have a strong distrust of computers, usually only use equations, things of that nature. Bruce Maddox went missing after Data was destroyed. He left the Institute because of them not being able to make any more sense. But he is potentially the one who created the... And who better to uh, marry organic and cybernetic than Borg? So I'm just wondering if maybe Bruce Maddox is some either initiated kind of what brad was talking about what are they actually doing uh with a reclamation does it have anything to do with uh, the twins right i think i think it, that could all be possibilities i think i think maddox may be the one that started the whole reclamation thing and he may mm -hmm. still be running it that would make perfect sense i'm anxious to see what part seven to nine is going to play because i think that's going to reveal a lot about what's really going on and i'm surprised we haven't seen her and i'm surprised we obviously also haven't seen number one or deanna yet I was for sure they were going to be in this episode. From what I've been reading, they've structured this more play. And I know, again, it kind of goes back to the tedium of the first three episodes. Those first three episodes were Act 1. Next three, the next block is supposed to be our Act 2. And then our last three episodes are going to be uh, the, the last act. And I felt the same way. I thought Riker and Troy, just based off what we saw in the trailer, they were on Earth. But I mean... We know from Star Trek that every planet looks like Earth, so they could be anywhere. And I also do point out, this is the first time the vast Raffi lives has been used as its actual location and not an alien world in Star Trek. So that was kind of a... Did, did you I, notice that there was a Gorn egg? Is yeah. that a Gorn egg in there? I didn't know if you saw that or not. Yeah. All right. Anybody got any, any other crazy theories? 
Section 31 and the Tashiar are in bed together, and it is the Federation and the Romulans have already started working together, and this they are going to create their own universe, and that is how the story of Star Wars was made. This is all done by control. That's right. crazy. All right, everybody, thanks for checking out our podcast. Don't forget to check out our website, maturemindedgamers.com. We do video games, board games, and much more. Have yourself a great evening.